Well, if you didn't know, next week we are celebrating a milestone in my son's life, and he's going to be a whopping three years old, and uh, he's, kind of, he's kind of three going on 20 right now, because uh, he, he's starting to think he's a little man and he can, you know, do things on his own, uh, but we were thinking as parents what to get him for his birthday to make it special, and as many of you know, we finally got a home, so we have a little bit of land now and we can have things on our property, so my wife came up with a brilliant idea, and I wasn't as convinced as first, but I've come to love it, to buy him chickens. So that's exactly what we did. We went to our local feed store and uh, bought some chicks for Theodore. And as you can imagine, him entering into this feed store and seeing all these little tiny chicks beep, 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 chirping away made him so incredibly happy. So as always, because my wife is an animal lover, we start off with a number where we say we're going to get two chicks or three chicks, and then I, we double it. So we, got, we ended up getting four little chicks for Theodore. And uh, we ended up uh, putting them in our bathroom because it's been cold out, and that's Theodore with his little chicks. Now, I know a lot of you grew up on a farm, and I'm just kind of curious. Any of you guys ever kept chickens when you were younger? Yeah, so a few of you know how great this is. Well, if you didn't know, all these chicks right here are egg-laying chicks. And one of them there, the red star chick, that's the gold one over there, that one is supposed to lay 290 eggs per year. So we're going to be having wonderful, fresh, farm-fresh eggs and uh, if you're nice to me, I might give you some. <laughs> but why do I mention chickens, and what does that have to do with today's message? Well, if you've ever kept chickens before, and I've had chickens a few times in my life, one of the things that they can oftentimes do is they can get themselves into trouble because they end up going in places that they shouldn't go. So you have to kind of put up a barrier for the chickens, a coop, or in this case, because they're little, just a, a trough in order to keep them enclosed. Now we have a couple cats, a dog, and other things that could uh, take them out, so we're trying to make sure that they're especially safe. But for whatever reason, I think we could be like chickens sometimes. And that is, we can want to venture off into places that we perhaps should not go. And it all comes down to the thought that the grass can be greener on the other side, right? Don't we all deal with that at certain moments of our lives where we think that stolen waters will be sweeter or what we don't have and yet what is on the other side will be better than what we do presently have? Well, I think today's message in the scriptures that we're going to be looking at today speak strongly to this fact. An age-old problem of us believing that the grass is greener on the other side, when oftentimes it isn't. So again, open up to 1 Samuel chapter 8, and we're going to be reading right now a few verses, so I will read them aloud. They'll be up on the screen as well. I'm reading out of the New International Version. It says this, <clears throat> chapter 8, 
When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. Whose ways did his sons not follow? Samuel's ways, and we know that Samuel was a godly man, right? They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Okay. Verse 4. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all other nations have. Now, this is rather interesting, and if it isn't abundantly interesting to you yet, let me help you understand why it is that this is significant. You see, since the Ark of the Covenant was returned from Philistine back to Israel, the people of Israel gave up their idols. They listened to Pastor Kevin's message last week, and they gave up their idols. And after giving up their idols, Samuel helped lead them into victory because they were honoring God and God was honoring them. And they were able to gain back land that had been stolen from them from the Philistines. And in doing that, they went from victory to victory to victory. But Samuel now getting advanced in his years and being older creates concern in the people of Israel, right? So they, just, they look at Samuel's sons and what is the problem with Samuel's sons? They're dishonest. Scripture tells us that they accept bribes. Now, of course, no politician has ever been dishonest and accepted bribes and, and used their po power for their own gain, of course, this is a problem, right? And it's a problem that we oftentimes see within history, whether it's in our own history or past history, that people can be corrupted by power. So, looking at Samuel's sons, what does Israel want? They want Samuel to appoint a king for them. Now, Looking at this in first glance, this is to be expected. Samuel's sons aren't doing the job that they should be doing. But what's interesting about this story is it's a reflection of what we just saw a few chapters ago, is it not? Eli was trying to lead the nation, was trying to help in his priestly duties, but what happened to Eli's sons? They were utterly corrupt, and they gave into dishonest gain, and they used their position of power as a way to advance themselves, and they weren't following in the ways of the Lord. So what does God do in that situation? Well, he removes them from the equation, but here we don't see that happening, at least not yet. Instead, what we see happening is the people deciding that they want a king for themselves. It's interesting how in the Old Testament especially, how you'll sometimes see a story twice and it almost appears like 
there's two different results, or God treats it in two different ways. But if we look a little closer into this story, I think we will learn something very important and not just about Samuel's sons failing to do what's right, but rather the condition of the people. You see, in that previous story when we were looking at Eli's son, I wanted to focus more on them and their corruption. But in today's message, we're going to focus more on the people of Israel and what they're missing. And I think that is what the author is trying to communicate. But one of the important things that I want to be able to bring up to you guys is how oftentimes a good and godly person can still have children that go astray. Now, and the reason why I want to just touch on this lightly is because I know that there are some of us here that have that story where you have been praying for your children, where your children have left behind the things of the Lord or the church. Or maybe you're a parent right now and you're trying to do your best to encourage your kids to be able to grow up into the church and and train them up in the ways that they should go. And I want to touch on this just briefly because I think many of us can feel like failures when we see our children not doing or not living up to the training or the pathway that they set for them, that we set for them. And I think, if anything, this scripture passage reminds us that you could still be a godly person and your children could end up in a different path from the one that you hoped, or the one that you tried to encourage them to go into. Now, I mention this because it's important to realize that, that oft, uh, unfortunately, what we often do is we look at, our, uh, at children, and sometimes when children are misbehaving or they're not doing what they should be doing, we immediately blame parents, right? But the reality is, is that a parent can only sometimes go so far. That ultimately we have our own free will to make our choices for ourselves. Now don't get me wrong, I don't want to take away from this equation the importance of being a parent and of parenting your children well, but I also want to offer relief that if you're in a situation where your child has walked away from the Lord, and you're blaming yourself for that result, to realize that that, that that individual is still responsible for their own lives and their own actions. Don't get me wrong, we still need to evaluate how we influenced that child, and we need to look for opportunities to continue to be a light to that child but realize this much, that at the end of the day, it is our own responsibility to make the decisions that we make, and we're held accountable for that before the Lord. And I say this not just to you guys, but I also say it in reality for my own kids. 
My son is not Pastor Theodore. <laughs> and Everett's not Pastor Everett. And just because I'm a pastor and just because I'm trying my best to raise my children right, I want to warn you now that my kids are tornadoes. <laughs> and just this morning, I was trying to encourage my kid to, to go to Miss Barb and say hello, and he rebelled and ran away and wouldn't do it. And they're going to fail you. But I want to create and encourage a culture in here, especially for parents with younger children, to know that this is a safe place for our kids to grow up in. This is a safe place for our kids to fail in, for us to not look at them with, and measure them through the yardstick of our own lives, but to realize that we all play a part in encouraging the children here to walk in the ways of, of the Lord and grow. So back to Samuel and his wicked sons. So what happens after this? Well, in 1 Samuel 8, 5, it says that Israel wants Samuel to appoint a king. They literally say, now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. This, uh, this request to Samuel greatly upsets him. It bothers him because he has been working so hard year after year to lead the people well. But you see, the people don't realize that they are failing in, in what I think is two major ways. And the first is this. The people want to be like other nations. Did you catch that? In the verse, it literally says, so that we could be like other other nations. Why is it that they're saying that? Well, right there shows you what? That they are looking to other nations and thinking that the grass is greener on the other side, right? Despite the fact that God has given them victory after victory after victory, that they've been able to regain land that was once lost and captured, they still look to the other nations and imagine, oh boy, wouldn't life be better if we could have a king like them? Church, what is it in your life that you look to and you say a similar thing? Oh boy, wouldn't life be better if I just had this? Wouldn't life be better if God would only grant me that? And I need us to be real with ourselves because we all have done it in one shape or form. You see, there was nothing wrong with Israel recognizing that Samuel's sons were not fit for leadership, but they just used that, if you were to ask me, as an excuse to end up looking like another nation. They're not another nation. 
They're a nation where Yahweh is literally interacting and leading this country. They're a nation where the hand of God is upon them, and the Spirit of God is over this people to try to raise these people up to be a light to others. You see, the thing is, is they want it to look like another nation, but in reality, God was trying to set them apart so that they could can look different from the whole entire world because God is going to eventually use Israel to birth a son, Christ, who would redeem humanity so they can't look like another nation because God is making them distinct. And in the same way, think about your life. Think about your life. Because I believe God is making each and every single one of you distinct. That He is calling you to be holy. Not like maybe the world that you see around you, but to be separate and distinct so that you can stand apart from all others around you. Not out of pride, but so that you can shine your light to them and show them the goodness of God. This was a major failure in Israel, and unfortunately, it's going to cost them. You know, when I think about this, what I'm realizing is, is the, the people of Israel failed to be content, right? That's why they thought the grass was greener, was because they failed to be content because we often desire what we do not have and we fail to appreciate what we do have isn't it true we often desire what we do not have and we fail to appreciate what we do have church i think one of the 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 important principles that god is trying to teach us today is to learn contentment This is a foreign word in our culture, to be content, because we as people just have a natural inclination to want more and more and more, and we're living in a very privileged society that really human history has never experienced, where many of us can want more and actually have more. But as you already know, most of us, no matter how much we have, will ever have enough. And we lie to ourselves in thinking, oh, if I just have this, then I'll be happy. Or, oh, if I just get that, then I'll be happy. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing nothing in principle wrong with setting a goal and trying to meet it. But there is a problem in not growing in contentment. I was talking to a couple individuals this week just about this idea of contentment. And one individual in particular was desiring for something to be different in their lives. And I told this individual, be careful with that. The goal is noble, but if you do not learn contentment right now, what's going to end up happening is is you're going to practice being discontent so much that when you finally achieve that goal, you'll still not be satisfied because all you know how to do is be displeased. 
Let me ask you this question, church. Are you practicing contentment or are you practicing being discontent in life? Because realize this, you can, if you're not practicing contentment, chances are you're practicing what, how to be discontent in life, which means that you will perpetually put yourself in a pit of unhappiness. I need to confess something to you because, church, I have to preach to myself before I preach to you every week. Amen? And I don't think I would be a good preacher if I didn't preach to myself. You know, the last few years that I've been pastor here, I, I, I have this tendency to say I'm the new pastor here at Peace Mennonite, but I, I'm going on three years now. <laughs> I'm not the new pastor anymore. But when I first got this responsibility, I felt so charged and motivated to be able to enter, help enter us into this new life cycle, this revitalization of our church. And in order to revitalize things, we needed to think about some of the things that we were doing and then think about some of the things that we needed to do, right? So what am I doing there? I'm thinking about what we need to do. Well, that, for me, turned into the grass being greener. That, for me, turned into, I want to push this church to be here because we're here and we need to be here. Totally okay. One of those goals was, I want to see more people come into church. I want to see more people come into Jesus. I want to see more people getting baptized. I want to see more people doing the work of God in our area. Wouldn't you say those are all good things? Yes, absolutely. But in my pursuit of doing that, there are moments where I am practicing discontentment in that. And what do I mean? I mean, as great as it is for us to desire to be a church that is not just, that knows not just who we were, but who we're trying to be, we still need to realize that every day is a gift. Every person in here is, is a part of our family, and we can't get lost in moving ahead at the expense of today. So I've realized, even in this last season, in my quest to continue to push the church forward, there has been times where I have not allowed the Lord to, to just let me be content in the season that our church is in. And in my attempt to continue to, to crack the whip and keep on moving, I, I think there are times where the Lord has reminded me, Kevin, just practice patience. And I confess this to you because I want to show you that, one, the Lord needs to preach to me first, but two, we can, we can practice discontentment with even things that we think are noble. Did you hear that? You could be pushing your family to achieve something that could be totally good. You could be pushing yourself to achieve something that is totally good, but in the pursuit of doing that, you can go about it in the wrong way. See, this is what I think Israel was doing. They wanted a king because, what, why? Because the leaders that they had were not good, but they were going about it in the wrong way. Ask yourself, of the things that you have in your life right now, 
Are you going about it in the right way, in the godly way? Or are you going about it in a way that not only hurts you, but hurts others around you? I don't want to be that person. And I definitely don't want to be that kind of pastor to this church. I want us to enjoy the season that we're in. And I believe that that season is upon us. I believe God is doing, I mean, He's proven to our church that He's doing so many wonderful things in and through us. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the little miracles of Fran and Eli still battling through that. And coming here, I told Fran the other day, or it might have been Eli, um, if, if they've given them a punch card yet, and the 11th visit is free, but they, they didn't tell me. <laughs> but I'm grateful for these seasons of life. Are you practicing contentment? Or are you training yourself to be a discontent person? So let's read again, verse 6. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. Isn't that interesting? God tells them to listen to the things that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected. See, Samuel's feeling rejection on himself. But they have rejected me as their king, and this is really important. So please pay attention to that. Who did they reject? Did they reject Samuel? No. Who did they reject? God. God as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his right. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king. This is my second point on what, what I believe their major failure was. So what was point one? Point one was that the people want to be like other nations. And the second point of their, uh, their moral failure, and I think this is the biggest one here, this is the most important to remember, is the people reject God as their king. You see, it was just an excuse in some ways. I mean, think about the story. And God rightly points back all the way to the times of Egypt. Why does he do that? Well, because God has perpetually proven the fact that he loves and cares for these people. So what happens when they're in the land of Egypt? He raises somebody up to rescue them. But ultimately, who's doing the rescuing? Is it Moses or is it God? It's God doing the rescuing, and he gets them out of that situation and prevents them from being slaves and frees them and brings them into the promised land. And all throughout that journey, God is raising up men and women to lead the nation and to allow them to have victory. God is a good king over their lives, despite the fact that the people continue to forsake him. And now they're using the excuse of Samuel's wicked sons to be able to again forsake God. 
and to not realize that this nation is unlike any other nation because the living God of the universe, the ones that created all these beautiful things that we see and who has proven himself faithful is not good enough for the people. Church, I think you know where I'm going with this. How many times do we do this? How many times does God prove himself faithful to us? How many times do we pray a prayer and the Lord delivers an answer to us? Maybe not always the answer we want, but he still comes through. And it's like we forget. And we continue to think that the grass is greener on the other side. And if only we had this, and if only I had that. It's because we're practicing discontentment and we don't know how to be content and thankful to the Lord. This is hard. I get it. It's difficult. I get it. And Samuel, understanding the weight of this message, goes to the people of Israel and he tells them, line by line, every single thing a king will mean for this nation, because God gives them a long list. So he tells them, you know, your king, if you have a king, your sons are going to have to go into service. They're going to have to fight his battles. If you have a king, some of your children will have to be employed by the kingdom. Your daughters will likely go off and have to do jobs for the kingdom. Your sons will likely have to plow fields, not for them to reap the benefit, but for the king to reap the benefit. The profits of, your, of, of, of whatever income you're bringing in, well, a portion of that will have to go to the king. Your daughters, the king will likely take for himself. There's going to be a lot of things that change that aren't happening right now because God is your king and God is a good king. He's a generous king and this king will need all these things for himself. And they hear all of that and what do they do? We want one anyways. Why? Because they can't get over the fact that the grass is greener on the other side. Church, I want to encourage you with the main idea for today, the main point for today is this, let God be the king of your life. I'll say that again. Let God be the king of your life. Let God be the king of your life. There isn't much more I could say. There isn't much more that I can try to encourage you to realize. But don't allow other things and other ideas to take place of how good that you have it already. Here's the truth. Yes, there are, there are needs in this world. There are needs in your own life right now. But if Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, then let him be the Lord of your life. And realize this, that you have been given the greatest blessing that you could ever be given in this world. God is your king. Act 
like God is your king. Amen? <laughs> I always like it when you do that, Abel. <laughs> I want to encourage you to take some time this week to ask yourself, what areas in my life do I need to grow in contentment with? What areas in my life do I need to grow in contentment with? And then identify it, and next time you are tempted to think about the grass being greener, or you're, think, or you're, or, or you're committed to being grumpy because you don't have what you want, I'm not saying kill all your goals in life, but allow yourself to thank the Lord in that moment, to ask the Lord to, to help you to, to be content even in the midst of trying to pursue whatever it is that you're trying to pursue. And then also, and this is harder to do, also ask Him to kill any desires in your heart that are not of Him, that don't allow God to be your king. Could you do that for me? Amen? Amen. Let God be the king of your life. You know, eventually what would happen is Israel would say, yes, we want a king, and a, a process begins, and what ends up happening is Samuel ends up finding a king that the Lord has set apart to be the king of Israel, and this gentleman is Saul. And in the coming weeks, we'll learn more about Saul in his life. But let me just say this much, exactly what the Lord warns them happens in the life of Saul in the kingdom. And we're going to learn a little bit more of what that ends up causing as damage, as well as some blessings in the life of Israel as God continues to love this, these people despite the fact that they oftentimes forsake them. So we'll learn more about that in the coming weeks, but let's take some time and pray.